morning, New Hope Church. It's so great to see all of you. Are we ready to keep worshiping Jesus today? He's worthy of glory. He is mighty. He is so good. And even in our time in the Word, this is worship. It is an opportunity to recognize the great worth-ship of the mighty Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, hey, by the way, this past week we've had five folk through the ministries of New Hope Church become born again and call on Jesus for salvation. Can we just celebrate that? Praise God for that. Praise God. One of those was right here just last Sunday. And uh, four others were part of the uh, movement that is unfolding at the Rosebud uh, Reservation out in South Dakota, where we have a partner there, uh, Teresa Eastman, doing an incredible work for the gospel. And uh, listen, if by chance you are here today and you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, right now is that moment for you to, to embrace Him. Right now is that opportunity for you to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, I am broken, I am tired, and I understand that in you is salvation. In you I may have new life and purpose, forgiveness and freedom, joy and peace. And so this day, this moment right now, I cry out to you, Lord Jesus, and I say, take my life and let it be totally consecrated unto you, O Lord. Oh God, if that's you right now, right now, you tell him, you just cry out to him in faith because our Lord Jesus, the resurrected, forgiving Jesus wants to meet you so much. Hey, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm delighted to connect with you if you're online. Welcome to New Hope Church right here in the Minneapolis area. And uh, for those of you who are here uh, in this space, uh, what a joy just to be present with you. So uh, some years ago, or I'm so sorry, some weeks ago rather, I'm in, I'm in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm sitting in a barber's chair. I'm getting my hair cut, and uh, the, barber, the barber, he looks at me and he says, so where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Minneapolis. And, and so we talked about that for a few minutes. He asked me some questions. Of course, inevitably, we talked about snow, cold weather. I don't know why that always comes up, but nonetheless, it did. Uh, and, then, and then I asked him, I said, tell me, uh, are, you, are you from uh, the Vancouver area? Did you grow up here? And he said, oh, I'm from the Middle East. And naturally, I said, well, where? And he said, Lebanon, to which I then said, well, I've been, I've been all over Lebanon a couple times, in fact. And, and his response was, was that he had never had a client that had been to his home country, and he was thrilled. So he started to ask me questions about, about Lebanon and my experience there. And I told him of people that I knew that I loved so deeply and, and the beautiful country that it was. And, and we talked about some of the sights that I got to see and the places I got to go and, and, and so forth. We went on and we talked about some of the challenges in Lebanon. We spoke, for example, of, of the uh, economic chaos and the political turmoil that is there. And inevitably, the conversation turned toward the legacy of the Lebanese Civil War, uh, the legacy that still lingers uh, well into this day, decades later. Turns out, it turns out that the hotel that I would stay in is just around the corner from his family home. Go figure, what a small world in which we find ourselves. As we're talking, he uh, says to me, he says, did you know that Lebanon is made up of numerous uh, tribes, many tribes? I thought that was a fascinating way to ask the question. I said to him, I said, well, tell me more. 
And he said, well, my, my mother, her family, her ancestors come from Syria. And he says, my father, well, his family came to Lebanon 1,500 years ago. They were Bedouins from the southern reaches of the Arabian Peninsula, from Yemen. Now, I thought this was absolutely extraordinary, fascinating to me. And we wrapped up, and I'm driving on, and as I'm driving away, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, here, here am I, an American visitor sitting in a Canadian barber's chair talking to a Lebanese man whose father's family comes from the Arabian Peninsula in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, among the largest Chinese population in North America and on the unceded territory of the indigenous Stolo people. And as I'm thinking about all of that driving away, I'm reminded ours is an incredibly demographically diverse world. And I'm also reminded our Father loves the nations. He loves all peoples. Praise God for this. Just south of the Lebanese border, in the northern reaches of Israel, is this ancient site right here that you'll see on your screen. I want you to soak it in. There we go. That's over 4,000 years old, that building right there. I took that picture last time I was in Israel. Two very powerful men met inside of this building. One, Abraham, to whom God said, you will bless the nations. I will bless the nations of the earth through you. Abraham arrives in that building having just led a coalition of armies against a common enemy. The other powerful figure was a man named Melchizedek, the king the enigmatic and revered king of Jerusalem. And his purpose in showing up to that building, hear me now, was to bless Abraham with bread and wine. Look at this verse here from Genesis chapter 14. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And it says, Melchizedek was priest of God Most High. He wanted to bless Abraham as this, uh, in this priestly service to this great man through whom the nations would rise up. Millennium would pass, Millennia would pass, and thoughtful people would look back at this moment, and they would see, hear me, foreshadowed in Melchizedek, the greater Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who also would bring to bear bread and wine, body and blood, so that the nations could be blessed. It's a foreshadowing, a prophecy lived out in that building in the northern part of Israel. Aeons would pass. And the litany of nations and peoples found in the Bible boggles the mind. Peoples and nations that would rise up and fall one after the next. It is obvious God has a beating heart for all peoples. God has a beating heart for the nations. Eventually, we would turn into the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we would come upon the Roman Empire stretching its arms across a large swath of planet Earth. And within that Roman Empire, a child is born, a son is given, and his name is Jesus. And he is the answer to all the promises of all of God's word. It is this Jesus who is the greater Melchizedek living out a life of sinlessness and righteousness so as to usher in a new era of forgiveness and peace. It is this Jesus, this prophet, priest, and king chosen and anointed by the Father to redeem sinners and to make all things new. It is because of this Jesus and his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into the heavenly places and his session with his Father right now where he intercedes for uh, the saints uh, and, and his return in glory and he will return in triumphant glory. It is because of these things that sin and death and the devil and the rivalries that divide us will no longer have the final word. Jesus is victorious. He is triumphant, and he changes everything. Some years after Jesus' ascension into the heavens, sometime after Jesus' ascension into the heavens, a Roman citizen with Jewish blood and backbone and a Christian identity wrote a letter to the Christians living in the capital city of the empire, wrote a letter to the people in Rome. This letter is extraordinary. You can find it in your New Testament. It's called Romans, naturally. And the man who writes it, his name is Paul. He gets to the 15th chapter of this letter. It's a long letter. He gets to the 15th chapter, and here Paul is talking about God's love for the nations. And as he's doing so, he is highlighting the power, listen to me, the power of one's priestly service designed to draw people to the eternal God of salvation. 
Listen to these words from Romans chapter 15, verses 15 and following, right here. On some points, Paul says, I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister, that is to say, a servant of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Isn't that an incredible line? Oh, that all of us could say that. In Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work, my service for God. Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elysium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Let's keep going here. Let's see. No, I think that's it. And so what we have is the apostle Paul, he's reflecting on his ministry. He's saying to himself, he's saying to the reader, he's saying, look, I'm looking back at what God has done through me in my priestly service, my labor of love, bearing bread and wine, body and Christ, uh, I'm sorry, body and blood of Christ to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the different ethnicities around the Roman Empire. In particular, and he references it, he's thinking about those peoples and tribes and tongues that are found there in uh, Asia Minor and the ark that takes one up the coast into the Balkan lands. Paul's looking at that and he's saying, God has done a wonder work. God has been faithful. God has been powerful. And the gospel has gone forward to these Gentile people, to these various tongues and tribes, to the, to, to the ethnicities of the region. And Paul's imagining himself somewhat like Melchizedek of old, a priest of God doing a priestly service, taking the, to, to the nations, to the Gentiles, the bread and wine, so to speak, the body and blood of Jesus. Let me tell you about him, about his death, his resurrection, his body, his shed blood, his work, so that you might be saved. But then the Apostle Paul also looks forward. He looks forward. Notice these words from Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 20 and 21. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's work or foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That's a quote from the book of Isaiah. And Paul's Paul's saying here, he's, look, my goal My goal is to keep preaching the gospel, but now I want to go to the nations where the gospel has not been proclaimed. I've done this work here in Asia Minor and up to the Balkans and in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, but now I want to go where the work has yet to be done. And it's interesting, uh, he quotes from Isaiah, and it's noteworthy that, that were we to look in depth at the passage in the book of Isaiah, 
Uh, it, it is prefaced with a prophecy of Jesus' blood, listen to me here, sprinkling the nations. This is what God's heart is, that the blood of Christ would wash over the nations. And the apostle Paul, he wants a front row seat to every bit of that. And having already taken that message of bread and wine, body and blood, his priestly service, like Melchizedek of old, blessing the nations, as he's already done that in the eastern part, now he's setting his eyes on the western part of the empire. He's looking out toward Spain. In fact, look at this passage here from verse 28, Romans 15. When therefore I have completed this work, that is to say what he's doing there in the east, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I'm going to go through you, Rome, on my way to Spain. So the gospel can go forward there in the far western part where the sun, uh, where the sun sets over the empire. So here's Paul, driven by God's heart for the nations, eager to manifest this service like a priest might, putting forward and blessing the Gentiles, the ethnicities, the nations, the peoples, the tongues, the tribes with the bread and wine, that is to say those things that symbolize the, the body and the blood of Jesus. And you know, as I look at this and think about this, I realize there's so much here, but there's two items I want to give particular attention to. And I want you to notice those with me here. I'm going to share them with you, and then I want to close with an invitation, as it were. But here are the two items. Here, here's the first one. I, I, notice this with me. You'll see it here. Uh, while Paul, okay, notice, while the Roman Empire was no doubt great, for Paul, it was merely an ends, or I mean a means to an end, and, and not the end itself. Now, please hear me now. Here's Paul in the Roman Empire. And it is great. There's no question. It's massive. The mightiest empire on the planet at the time. But for Paul, yeah, that's fine. But for him, the empire was merely a means to an end. We, we have to understand this. For Paul, the empire was a means to an end. Uh, it's not the end itself. It was a vehicle by which he can take the gospel from one place to the next, from one people to the next, a vehicle by which the gospel is taken to many tribes and tongues. And what we have to understand here from Romans 15 is that for Paul, a nationalistic view of empire is utterly meaningless. He's not interested in the glories of Rome. He's interested in the glory of Christ. And he wants to take that glorious gospel of the glorious Christ to all the peoples within the empire. And for him, the empire is just a means by which he's able to do that. His citizenship, the roads, the currency, all of it. He's interested in the people groups within the empire. He's been around the east, now he wants to go to the west and take the message there. 
And rightly so, friends. Rightly so. And it's not, please hear me, it's not that he doesn't notice Rome and her glory. It's just that he's looking beyond it or past it towards something bigger and better, something more important. For him, he's looking beyond Rome and her glory to that Spaniard standing on the shores of Spain waiting on the gospel to come to her. That's what Paul is moved by. And please hear me, friends. Please hear what I'm about to say. That's what we need to be moved by. We have to be a people that look past the glory of empire and see the image bearer standing on whatever proverbial shore is around us waiting for the gospel. That ought to be the thing that consumes us. That ought to be what drives us. And after all, as Paul would say elsewhere in Philippians chapter 3, these words right here, notice this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. We need to live as kingdom citizens first and foremost and above all else. Because mark my words, friends, earthly kingdoms come and go and peoples rise and fall. But one day, the redeemed from every tongue and tribe and nation and people will join with the angels and other saints and cry out, worthy to the Lamb. And that ought to drive us more than anything else. A second thing I want you to notice here. Homogeneity. Now, what is that? Sameness. Everybody looking the same, being the same, feeling the same, thinking the same, living the same. Homogeneity mattered little to Paul. Everything being the same mattered very little to him. Everybody looking alike, acting alike, thinking alike, voting alike, it mattered very little to Paul. And a lack of it was worth all the risks. Homogeneity mattered little to Paul, and a lack of it was worth all the risks. I want you to notice with me this passage from Acts chapter 13. I, I love this. It's so, it, 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 this, is, this passage has changed my life. Now, I want you to follow this with me. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch, stop for a second. Antioch was one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world at the time. Uh, it is New York City and Paris rolled into one. All right, so there in Antioch were Barnabas. Simeon, also known as the black man. Lucius, who was from Cyrene. Manaean, who was a childhood companion of a local king. And Saul, that is to say, the apostle Paul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul, that is to say, Paul, for the special work to which I have called them. 
So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now, part of why I love this is those who are most influential in the life of Paul represent a demographically diverse world. You have Greeks, you have Jews, you have Africans, and they're gathered together as the leaders of the church in one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the known world at the time. And there together they are seeking the face of God. Together they are praying and fasting and having an imagination for how to change the world for the glory of Christ. And there together they laid hands on Barnabas and Paul and commissioned them to go out as missionaries. And Paul never recovered from this in a good way. And that's why, as a matter of fact, in Romans 15, you see this, this uh, picture of, of Paul orchestrating uh, this uh, gift from the impoverished Macedonians to the struggling people living in the land of Melchizedek and, and Abraham, the land of the Jews. And, and this is so important to Paul. We see it there in, in uh, verses um, uh, 21 and following of Romans 15. 22 and following, is so important to Paul that, that, that the nations, the, the various peoples and groups and tribes and tongues all work together in Jesus' name. Because that's what his experience was before God set him up to go to the nations. Transcending politics and economics and culture and class, rising above homogeneity and sameness and embracing those in Christ who may be very different than I. It's costly. It has a cost. There's a price. Because we, to do that well, have to let go of our personal comforts and agendas. We might have to share money. We might have to share power. We might have to share platform in ways that are not at all comfortable to us. But the reward is extraordinary because the reward gives way to the greater possibility of all the saints and angels crying out worthy before the Lamb. Many tribes, many tongues, many peoples, many nations crying out worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Jesus. We can't have an imagination for that if we're determined to just be with what is same. And you know, the whole world is changing in front of our very eyes. As a matter of fact, hear me. In the year 2049, now that's not long from now, 
a man that looks like me is going to be a minority in the United States. I can't wait. Because you know what that means? That God has cross-pollinated our land with the nations so that I and you and we can to the nations be bearers of bread and wine, body and blood, the dead and then resurrected Jesus. So that his story can then go like wildfire across not just our empire, but many empires. And we ought to have an enthusiasm for that. We ought to take on the posture of Melchizedek of old, who was willing to go and stand before the one who embodied all the nations and with bread and wine bless. Or for us, the body and blood of Christ bless the nations. We ought to have that kind of gospel zeal. That ought to be who we are. It needs to be. It needs to be. Here are the words of Paul from Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves. Everything I've been saying here, I absolutely know God wants us to hear. Have this mind of which we've been speaking among yourselves. Have this mind. Let me ask you. In fact, could you just stand with me right now? And I want to ask you something. And I really want you to think carefully and hear me, hear me as your brother, as your friend, as your pastor, as a servant who himself is walking out a priestly service and a labor of love. Hear me. Can you see the Spaniard standing on the shore waiting on the gospel to come? Can you see the Lebanese barber? Or how about the Hmong? Woman that runs the barbecue place. Or the Somalian that drives the Uber. What about the Nigerian that lives next door? or the Liberian standing next to you in worship? Can you see the Iranian and the Cuban and the Venezuelan and the North Korean? How about the family from Zimbabwe? Or the family from Hong Kong? And also the family from North Dakota? All of God's children come together needing the gospel, needing bread and wine, needing body and blood so that all of us redeemed can stand and cry out, worthy are you, O Lamb of God. And all of us redeemed can cry out in one magnificent voice, all hail King 
Jesus. Can you see it? Look at these words here. Here's our holy demand. Stand like Melchizedek, indeed like the greater Melchizedek, and rejoice the nations with bread and wine, body and blood. It starts today, it starts with us, and it starts with you. So let us be those people.